0: What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TMNBaseballFan.com. Tonight we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject. It's a subject that, uh, that covers an article that I just have published in Beckett Sports Monthly. Uh, so check it out. It is the Beckett Magazine with George Springer on the front. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited, super pumped to have my, uh, my work published in Beckett and uh, but more on that later what I want to start off tonight with is I'm also like super pumped but guys that I've got like my first uh, sponsor for this podcast so I guess I am obligated to talk about them in the product actually to be honest with you it's not something I feel an obligation at all in fact I've talked about them quite a bit before in the past that's why a sponsorship uh, from them really makes sense the company's name is Unikeep so uh, check them out at unikeep.com, unikeep.com Uh they sell binders and I don't know there's something about binders when it comes to uh, baseball cards for the majority of my super collecting career I had everything in either top loaders or one-touch holders and there's just something that was kind of missing for me like I missed having the binders Uh, now when I sold off everything or most everything anyways and said you know it would be great is if I built up a a base run of everything again uh, I wanted to do it in binders so I started looking around and uh i think you and you know what i'm talking about whenever you think of a binder you think of uh just you know something that's kind of got padding on the on the uh uh, cover and you open it up and there's just three d rings in the middle so that way the uh, inside cards won't get won't get hurt well um it doesn't really excite me because i've always had a problem with uh with other binders that have like the accordion bend of the pages, and I never really liked that. It just kind of irked me. And uh, even though we have like the D rings, those kind of bothered me too. <laughs> uh, even though they're supposed to protect the uh, the inner cards. So uh, I remember looking online somewhere, and somebody had actually posted some pictures of these binders with like a clamshell design. And so what I mean by clamshell design is uh, you can check on my website tanmanbaseballfan.com and do a search for unikeep and you'll see uh, what my binders look like from unikeep. Uh but basically they uh, they're an enclosed piece where when you close them it actually encases all of the pages all around. So there's no way that dust gets through uh, from the top if you uh, spill something on top of the binder then I'm not saying it's like completely waterproof though they very uh, may very well be I don't know uh, but it just gives you a much more secure feeling plus they look fantastic when they're uh, uh, on your shelf and you can uh, store them upright or you could stack them whatever you want like I store them upright as if they're just like various volumes of uh of albums and so i love them guys like i probably would not have my cards in binders had it not been for you keep uh binders themselves and uh so yeah check them out unikeep.com go to my website again like i said search unikeep to see uh, uh what mine look like and uh, i also have a video somewhere on YouTube.com forward slash Tanman Baseball Fan, I uh, did a, a video of my base run of Kinsaco cards, and uh, probably the most exciting thing about this is, on top of having a fantastic product, uh, I've been authorized to tell you about a discount code BASE twenty. So that's B A S E. And the number two and the number zero. If you enter that in on checkout, it's going to give you 20% off, guys. So check them out, unikeep.com, U N I K E E P.com. Okay, guys, so, um, like I said before, what we're going to be talking about tonight is baseball cards that are not meant for public consumption. I've uh, coined the term NMPC for not meant for public consumption. And uh, this uh, uh, subject is covered in Beckett Sports Monthly because I wrote an article about it and they published it. And uh, the title is called Shrouded in Mystery. We're gonna go ahead and uh, break down as many uh, possible types of cards tonight and it's probably in. I'll be honest with you like I wrote that article months ago and I haven't even reread it so I'll probably be missing a few things but I'll probably be talking about some things that weren't covered in the article either but either way uh, my recommendation to you would be to uh, pick up the uh, the Beckett magazine and uh, uh, read it and let me know what you think but, uh, before we go any, th- any further, let's go ahead and uh, define what these NMPC cards are. And uh, I'll give you a couple other terms that that's uh, being used for them. Some people will call them proofs. They'll call them prototypes. They'll call them backdoored cards. Uh, there's a lot of names that people use for these. and. I'll tell you why people use them. So generally speaking, these cards, uh, to give you a working example of what they might be, is you might have a card that's a, uh, let's say for example, a 2013 Bowman uh, Chrome red, ref- red Refractor. And uh, I don't know offhand what those are number two, I think five. Possibly, well sometimes, every now and then, you might see some cards that uh, come to the market as like a 2013 Bowman Chrome Red Refractor, or any year of anything, any type of refractor, even super refractors, that look and feel exactly like any of the others do, except they don't have the serial number on the back. Why is that? Sometimes you'll see cards also that might, uh, are supposed to have a die cut and maybe they're not die cut. Maybe there's some foil on the front that's missing, uh, or perhaps some of these cards might even have, uh, extra material around the sides and tops and bottoms, uh, excuse me. So like you might see like a, a little, uh, color bar for the printing, um, there's just all kinds of little things that are different but ultimately all these cards fall under the umbrella of uh nmpc not meant for public consumption because they were not offered or found in packs of baseball cards so they're not meant to get out to the public and there's a number of reasons why we'll break down each reason tonight uh I'll try, like I said, I'll try to cover everything. Um, it's really just me kind of going off the top of my head here, so I hope I'll be able to <laughs> be able to remember everything. But in my old age, uh, <laughs> as my wife uh, likes to, and son Atticus, uh, they both love to lovingly remind me that uh, uh, I'm very forgetful sometimes. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll do as uh, as much as this old man's brain here can. Uh, uh, can can do so. Uh, the first thing that you'll see is, uh, um, you know, how do they get out into the public? There's a couple ways. Number one, you might find them uh, having gotten to the public simply because uh, somebody uh, might have taken a few sheets from production and run out the back door with them. That's why some people call them back door cards. Um, so, uh, think about it this way, you have somebody that's uh, uh, printing out some, uh, I don't know, uh, 2011 uh, top sterling or whatever, and uh, an employee says, huh, well they made a hundred sheets of this, they're not going to miss one of them, yoink, so they take a sheet, go out the back door, don't tell anybody, and then they have a sheet all to themselves. That's uncut and these could be uh, possible extras or replacements or maybe it's not as nefarious as that. Maybe it's just they have a, uh, an extra set, an extra sheet of, say, super fractors, for instance, that were uh, created as replacements in case something went wrong with the pack pulled version so that way they can uh, uh, send them out. To the people that might have gotten a damaged one from the pack or something. You just never know. Uh, and I'll uh, give you one example. It was a, it was a 1988 Score, uh, Rookies and Stars, I think. Uh, it's, a, it's supposed to be a glossy version, uh, a glossy little subset. And somebody sold, or somebody uh, had for sale on eBay Uh, sheets of these cards and uh, Like a very limited run of them like these cards guys like they've they probably made millions of them Uh, and if not millions then hundreds of thousands no doubt but This guy actually had like a sheet uh, a little little pile of sheets of these cards without the coating without the gloss coating so according to him what had happened was his buddy worked at the company that score had outsourced the uh, the gloss treatment of these cards to and uh one thing led to another and score said no we've got to do this somewhere else or something they take their sheets back while one of the employees holds back a small pile of them now does that mean that these cards are wildly valuable I guess it really kind of depends on who you talk to. Uh, for me, uh, when I was going after everything, I went bananas over having a non-glossy 88 Rookies and Stars. Uh, I, I know that I've got that name wrong. It's like Hot Stars or... Uh, it, it wasn't like the Rookie and Traded set. It was something else. It had like a... The majority of the border was white and they had glossy uh, fronts, but... Anyway, so, uh, you know, those would be considered like backdoor cards. Um, Then you also have something like uh, cards that were meant for executives. And now Donruss would do this a lot or Leaf or, you know, whoever you want to, whatever company you want to call them. But uh, they would have some, they're called executive prototypes or executive samples. And the way that you could tell... Uh, The difference between them and the pack pulled ones is uh, as an example, I'll give you an example of a card from my collection, which is one of my very favorite cards in my collection. It's a 1998 Donner's Crusade uh, Green Jose Canseco. Now, those are normally numbered to 250. You put it on the back, you flip them on the back, and you'll see uh, like 62. uh, out of 250 or whatever the number is. And it's stamped in, uh, uh, in gold, I think. Uh, gold foil. Uh, mine is literally printed in the card. XXX out of 250. Um, it's rumored that there's only one or two each of these. That were created. And those were uh, um, supposedly uh, meant for the... The higher executives in the company to have like just as a little special piece. I don't know. I think that's a. I think those uh, stories are great. I mean, could you imagine like working at Donruss or somewhere in the '90s or even nowadays and having uh, uh, the having the ability or or having a gift of like these special cards? I think Topps does this for their employees, they, they create some special cards for them or special parallels. Um, gosh, I mean, <laughs> who would want to even take a salary at that point? You know, just pay me in cards, right? <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, but anyways, it was a really kind of a, a interesting story because guess what? Some of these executives don't necessarily care nearly as much about baseball cards as you or I might. So... Over the past, you know, 20 plus years, some of them will trickle through uh, into the uh, the market and uh, a few lucky uh, people might get their hands on them and voila, what a wonderful thing. They end up in the hands of collectors that were not supposed to have them. I mean, what a, that's a fun thing right there. I actually had a, a, uh, um, five sheets of 2,000 Crown Royale uh, proofs I think they were and I'll kind of I'll try to describe the cards to you. Um, they were sideways cards black and white printed on like a transparency it almost looked like a transparency like you would put on uh, one of the school projectors which by the way, man if I had one of those, in high school i probably put them on one of the one of the projectors at school and turn it on just to you know see what it looked like but uh anyway so uh i was able to oh and by the way these were die cut in the shape of a uh crown and so you would have the regular which was called a proof and then you would have like i don't even remember what the next one's called but it looked exactly the same um, except It had like a gold box in uh, uh, foil, like gold foil. And it would have like the serial number out of 50, whatever it was. So obviously that one's more expensive uh, than the other. So uh, what I was able to get my hands on were five full uncut sheets of these cards. So they're basically five sets complete sets of these uh, with that little gold box that was stamped on on every single one of them and the person i purchased them from he got them straight from uh, i think his name's michael kramer if i remember correctly uh these were archived uh just supposed to be part of the pacific archives but they uh they came out and this guy had them and he sold them to me And i was able to uh cut them up as uh regular size cards without the die cut and say hey these are uh, uh, known to me to be out of five and i sold a number of them and uh, i was and and the funny thing is it's like The whole reason I got these to begin with was just so I could have one Canseco. (laughs) That seems to be how how it always works out for me. But uh, I was uh, blessed to be able to uh, filter some of these out through the hobby. And now I'm thankful uh, to be basically the reason why a number of player collectors have some of these rarities in their collections. So, uh, you know, again, there's nothing really nefarious about uh, how these cards came to market. It was literally uh, previously, according to what I was told, uh, part of the Pacific uh, Archives. And, uh, you know, apparently because they're not in business anymore, they uh, they sold out. Now, uh, to uh, further that point, that also happened with FLIR. So I think FLIR offered a, uh, had up a bankruptcy auction. And uh, back in 2005, I think it was September 9th, 2005, I skimmed over that article. I did my research from that. So I I think that date stuck out. But uh, so FLIR had uh, like what was it, a, basically one sheet, one uncut sheet of a number of their products. And so, like Star Ruby's Extreme, for instance, and so uh, somebody purchased that uh, single sheet and those cards were supposed to be serial numbered out of 50 um, and there are no serial numbers on them because uh, they're still in sheet form. And uh, so somebody chopped them up and sold them as single cards. And uh, I used to have the Canseco. I don't anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, like that card was actually in an uncut sheet form for years. And it looked to me, based upon the pictures, that it was framed and at Fleer headquarters uh, on the wall or something for just a number of years. So, uh, again, it's one of those things where the card wasn't meant to be in somebody's collection. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's really kind of a fun thing for me personally. Like, by the way, the, uh, uh, the Pacific, uh, sheets that I had, that I was talking about a few minutes ago on every sheet at the bottom, it said something like, uh, property of Pacific, not for resale or something. And, uh, I don't know guys, like to me, uh, I love, love, love those sorts of cards, I really, truly enjoy the types of cards that uh, did not come out of packs because anybody could get those. And we know the story already behind them. We know that a certain serial numbered card could be out of 25 or 30 or whatever. Uh, Comes from a pack, just like anybody would have uh, picked up packs from the stores at any given time. Open them up, and voila! If you're the uh, if if you had a, a hot hand in, in pulling good cards, then guess what? You know that card c- uh, came to you. Uh, but when you're talking about cards that were not meant for public consumption, there's a whole other story there, like a lot of uh, history and, and mystery, and uh, that's why the article is called "Shrouded in Mystery." Such a such a cool Potential backstory that some of these cards might have. I'll give you another example uh, I by the way, I did a little supplemental uh, YouTube video today on some of these showing off some of the cards So if you want to have like visuals go to youtube.com forward slash 10 baseball fan and uh, You can see a little five minute video or something five or ten minutes and I show off some of my NMPC cards from my collection and one of them which is now famous, because it graces the, the pages of, of Beckett Monthly, <laughs> is my 1995 Stadium Club ringleaders, Jose Canseco. Now, guys, like, by the way, just as an aside, uh, if you love 90s cards half as much as I do, and you don't have some of these just because they're not rare, look at them. Go, go grab a couple. Uh, there's some good guys in the checklist, if I remember correctly, it is a beautiful card, and they are like crazy easy to get a hold of. Um, in fact, if you want some more, even a little more exclusivity, you could get a members-only version of them. Uh, but the foil, the etched foil work on the fronts are beautiful. They're very cheap. Um, you know, very, very nice. You remember those, uh, those Unique binders I was talking to you about earlier? um those would definitely be unikeep binder worthy uh if you have some buyers you you get some of those 95 stadium club ringleaders and put them in those pages (laughs) and put them in your unikeep binders uh but uh so the one that i showed in my youtube video it's not like all the others it's not pack pulled uh in fact if you turn the card around to the back it is covered entirely in this bright green sticker that has a date from like January of 95. And it says something like color approval uh, signature or something like that as part of somebody's signature. So uh, that leads me to believe that that card was perhaps not uh, a backdoor card, but rather an honest to goodness uh, proof or a prototype that was put together and printed out. So that way it could be used as an approval piece before they went forward with that set. So, um, you know, when we talked earlier about the, uh, all the different types and kinds of NNPC cards, that's really kind of, uh, um, the answer right there is they vary. You know, like I said, some people could have, uh, slipped out the back uh with them i think i've given examples of every possibility could have slipped out the back with them uh they could have been a part of a card company's archive that they sold off of uh after bankruptcy um they could have been created specifically to uh again just as an archive piece or as a replacement uh and uh you know last but not least they could have just been used as uh as uh printed to be uh in, to see if they could have approval to go forward with those cards so uh there's obviously a number of possibilities here and this is definitely not a one-size-fits-all situation like probably depending on the card is uh and by the way one other thing also like i said before the executive prototypes, some of them were probably meant not just for archive purposes, but uh, as actual honest-to-goodness special limited cards for people are higher up in the company and uh, We'll even uh, move over to these uh, 1998 pinnacle and select uh, certified cards uh, that are uh, that have filtered throughout the hobby over this past year or so. Um, You know, these cars were all created and if I remember correctly, like from 98, uh, if I remember correctly, they uh, didn't have the license to go forward and pack them out and sell them. So, there wasn't a full print run of these uh, that I'm aware of. And uh, so, There's only a small handful of some of them. And so the way that these cards got to the market is once uh, Pinnacle uh, closed up shop, they, according to what I've heard, according to my sources, they allowed for various employees to divvy up uh, the product that was not actually uh, uh, packed out to sell and let them go home with them. So over the past couple decades, you'll see some uh, filtering throughout the hobby as well. Really cool stuff. I mean, just so fun to think that, like, these rare cards of your player, like can think about this, your favorite player that you uh, rapidly go after uh, for proofs, prototypes, one-of-ones, high-ends, everything. Uh, <laughs> some, some cards that you just die for might literally be in the attic or the basement of somebody that used to work at one of these card companies (laughs) think about that it's pretty amazing and kind of uh give you a possible uh possible reason to shudder a little bit you think about this like imagine if these employees literally didn't care at all about baseball cards i mean think about this let's say you have somebody that worked at Pinnacle, uh, and let's say it was an accountant or something, or a receptionist. Like, hey, receptionist Susie, here is a box of baseball cards. And they're like, oh, okay, thanks. They're like, uh, I'm not passionate about baseball cards. I was just working there for a paycheck. And uh, so they uh, maybe ask a, a friend or two back in 98. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of these cards here. Some of them are bent up, but I don't care. They're just sloshing around the back of my car in the trunk. Are any of these worth anything? And maybe they have one person who's like, oh, yeah, no, these aren't really worth anything. Okay. They forget about them, throw them in the attic or the basement, leave them in the car trunk, the basketball that's uh, rolling all over them all the time. And ultimately they go, yeah, this is stupid going to throw these out so they throw them out (laughs) not knowing that they potentially could have had thousands of dollars of cards a mere 20 years later so think about that (laughs) so we will talk next about uh the value of these cards do these cards have any value if you uh talk to a lot of collectors generally speaking uh, a lot of people are going to uh, have seem to have some sort of like a sour taste when it comes to these nmpc cards uh, especially if they're missing a die cut or a serial number or uh, foil treatment um, you know so a lot of these guys their collectors don't care about these they and, and the reason why i think Is a couple of reasons. Number one, they don't like them because they're not checklisted. The checklist is a powerful, powerful drug. Like, people crave order and structure. So, when a card is not meant for public consumption and is not even recognized in, like, for instance, the Beckett checklist, uh, that's a... You know that's a big no-no for a lot of people for others of course they're uh it's going to be like way better than cards are checklisted uh now i tend to be in that camp depending on the card and i'll give you a couple examples of when i would much rather have a pack pulled version card than an npc card and vice versa so Generally speaking, when it comes to a lower dollar card or a card that's pretty rare, um, I am going to always want the NMPC version. That's just me. I, uh, I, and I'll give you an example. I've got a couple uh, 1992 Tops Jose Canseco cards. One's regular. One is in All Star. Uh, the front nameplate is missing on both of them. And guys i think they're just like the coolest things ever i tweeted out uh those cards uh several months ago and i guess there was a seller that had like one of each of a lot of the set and people went nuts over them like once i posted that that tweet all kinds of people went to uh try to find uh a version of their guy so obviously 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 i'd much rather an NMPC of a 1992 top space card than a 1992 top space card that's just regular and pack-pulled. Why? Well, it's simple. The NMPC might only have one or two of them available, whereas the pack-pulled version is going to have two, three, four million of them available. Simply nothing special about those. Uh, And what we like to do as collectors is we try to find ways uh, for our collections to stand out among everybody else's, and so NMPC cards are a great way of doing that. Now, uh, let's let's kind of take this a step further, though. Let's go into uh, the other end of the spectrum. What about one of ones? Guys, there are legitimate one of one super fractors out there, made by Tops. Uh, that were just not serial numbered and in many cases not signed like uh, their pack pulled counterparts. Now, which would I rather have? Well, for me, hands down, I would rather the pack pulled version than the one that's an NPC because one of the whole reasons why I like NPC cards to begin with is because they're rare. Now, if the pack pulled version is already super rare you know there's no real reason uh, to want something you know other than the actual pack pulled version um, I wouldn't mind having an NPC of a one of one uh, in fact I've got a uh, 99 ultimate victory gold can that's that's uh, uh, supposedly is uh, supposed to have uh, serial numbered one of one version of it out there somewhere uh, that has not been confirmed though it's quite possible that they simply just didn't serial number all of them i don't know yet but i would not be surprised if at some point down the road we see a serial numbered one of one 99 uh, ultimate victory gold uh, uh that's serial numbered one of one I kind of actually would be surprised because I'd be like in the only haystack, but nevertheless I wouldn't bet against uh, one being uh, uh, Out there that actually exists, but either way for me personally uh, Which would I rather have? Would I rather have my One of one that's not meant for public consumption without the serial number or would I rather have the pack pulled version? that has a serial number on it. I would rather the pack-pulled version with serial number on it. Um, Again, with that card also, the whole reason for uh, adding value to it because it's an NMPC is simply because it's generally speaking gonna be rarer than its pack-pulled counterpart. Now, if (laughs) if that's not the case, and it comes with one of ones, then there's no reason uh and you know i tell you about this other uh kind as well so it's like 1999 98 or 98 i'm sorry 98 or 99 uh fleer sports, sports illustrated they have uh what's called the one of one masterpieces in fact on the back in purple foil it'll say something along the lines of the only one of one masterpiece that's all well and good, but unfortunately, there are two, three, possibly four of each card out there with that exact same foil stamping treatment. So that leads me to believe, perhaps, that um, uh, Fleer created a number of them for archiving purposes or uh, or otherwise. So. Uh, it's kind of funny and ironic that it happened to, uh, the cars actually say the only one of one masterpiece when it's like actually a lie. Uh, in fact, for a lot of these one of ones, if not all of the one of ones in the nineties, especially, I have a strong feeling that there's, uh, more than one of each out there for those reasons, for replacement purposes or archival purposes, um, yeah I don't know like i I wouldn't personally be upset if I had an n n p c version of these one of ones like that ninety nine ultimate gold conseiko uh victory uh, you know I'm just thankful to have it like and it's, it's it looks the exact same feels the exact same and it was produced the exact same way that a pack pulled one of one would have uh looked and felt so it's uh, really, like I said in my YouTube video today, it's really a matter of one, uh, one A and one B, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, let's take this another step in another direction. Uh, 1998 Bowman Chrome Golden Anniversary Refractors. Now, guys, these are like a holy grail item to a lot of people. And uh, so they're typically numbered out of five. I've seen a number of them actually uh, just uh, sold in bulk a number of these uh, commons to somebody recently that have no serial numbers on them, which, I don't know, it's kind of fun to have these types of cards that you know you'll probably never, never, never see them uh, ever again with the serial number, so it's fun to see the NMPC versions of them. Without serial number, because first of all, in spite of how rare the Packbowl versions are, the NMPC is probably a rare. Uh, there might only be one or two of them out there. That's speculation purely for me. Uh, and it's all well and good. And I, you know, shoot, if, if a Konseko popped up without a serial number, I'd be all over it. I'd love it. That'd be great, uh, truly. But I'd much rather a serial number card. Uh, version of it, packable version of it But what I do want to do right now. I want to take this time and give you a big big fat warning on uh, These types of cards that don't have serial numbers Be very very careful you guys there are people that will serial number them uh, Aftermarket and in my opinion this defaces the card Uh, so what they'll do and I think somebody actually got taken uh, for $7,500 off of a 98 Bowman Chrome Golden Anniversary uh, refractor Ken Griffey Jr. at a card show. Guy is offered this card by somebody, turns it around, sees the serial number, It's like, okay, yeah, he ends up paying $7,500 for this card, right? And he brings it home, and uh, if I remember correctly, I think he looked at the sales data and he saw that card sell that same card without the serial number so what that looks like is it sounds like that somebody literally took a serial number stamp and uh and stamped the card in their own to make it look like it was packfold guys that is a big fat major no-no don't do that to these cards uh if you have an nmpc without serial number leave it as it is Le- just please leave it as it is don't try to deceive anybody to make it look like it's pack pulled or anything that's uh not good and, and the reason why people will do this is because when it comes to those cards uh, they're going to be the pack pulled version of those 98s for example are going to be uh, way more uh, desirable Than the ones without serial numbered, uh, without serial numbers on them. Uh, so uh, the stamp was no doubt meant to deceive people so they could get a higher price out of their card. So unfortunate. I mean, it'd be so much better if that serial number wasn't there. I bet that card would have gone for thousands of dollars, anyways, without the serial number. But now, um, Now the card is just, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's damaged beyond all recognition and, you know, not worth anything because, you know, look, if a Canseco that was serial numbered uh, aftermarket, I'd probably still go for it, but wouldn't be willing to pay nearly as much for one as uh, uh, without a serial number compared to somebody doing one that uh, serial numbering it uh, in aftermarket. Really kind of... uh, frustrating that that happens, but it happens. And another thing that happens like this as well is uh, some people will take the uh, the uh, uh, They'll call them test proofs of these top super fractures that were likely produced by tops as uh, uh, just extras for archiving purposes or replacements and you'll see a number of these that have a spot for a signature um but it's not signed and the back does not have the serial number so what people will do sometimes is they will uh stamp the card themselves and guys i don't really know exactly what they do with a a serial numbering i don't have a serial number stamp thing myself uh, but i would imagine it'd probably be really easy to do and to get uh, a uh, machine that does it or you could probably go to like some print shop and do it so before you think that it's something that's like way out of the realm of possibility think again guys like anything so uh, anyways they stamp these cars these super and then they will have it is that's on the card sign it so just like that voila you might have something that looks to be to everybody else a pack pulled one of one autograph super um and you know that's just uh, it's very unfortunate when that's done and meant to deceive people uh, I could see how some people would think that's kind of a gray area but in my opinion it's best to just uh, steer clear from any type of controversy when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, Ideally, what would be fantastic is if there would be a way for the grading companies to uh, be able to distinguish the type of serial number because uh, when it comes to the 98 Bowman chrome uh, golden anniversary refractors, the reason why people found out that a lot of these were stamped aftermarket is because they simply used a different font for their serial stamping. It'd be very nice if uh, grading card companies, uh, card grading companies, could get these and grade them as altered, because ultimately that's what they are. Uh, I would love for the card companies or the grading companies to be able to do that. Uh, same thing uh, with these. Uh, proofs that are not or they're missing the serial number Uh, and I've seen this before in the past which is good for the grain companies where they actually say on the flip that it's a test proof or it's a missing missing the serial number I think that's a great way to go um in fact my canseco was a bgs95 and it said something along the lines if I remember correctly 1999 ultimate gold victory uh one-of-one Jose Canseco missing serial number you know I think that's great because personally it doesn't bother me like I enjoy and I appreciate the uh, part of the story that that tells for that specific card Um, you know there's no deceit it's uh, just a part of part of the baseball card history Um, that's why I love just love those NMPC cards I really do I've got another one. It's a 1997 Pinnacle Totally Certified Platinum Gold. uh, Jose Canseco. It is one of my favorite cards. Like, I love... I just adore how that card looks. In fact, uh, I sold it when I was selling out. And I ended up trading like a game-used helmet of Canseco for that card. That's how much I love that card so much. Uh, And uh, it is an NMPC. It is not serial numbered and because of where it came from and uh uh, like whose hands it passed through and everything i'm not really sure if i want to say exactly uh where in specific it came from um because i'd like to get more cards down the road (laughs) in the same area but uh it it looks to me like it's possible that this is like an executive prototype as well but was just not uh, numbered as such so there's no serial number The peel off uh, cover on the front of the card is right side up as opposed to the others i've seen which are upside down Uh, which by the way is probably going to be like one of the only cards that i leave the peel on one of the only ones (laughs) so because of that which i think is just like really cool like i said it's all about differentiating differentiating our collections from somebody else's so um i guess there you have it guys like that should run the gamut for what these NMPCs are. We're talking about sample test proofs, prototypes, archive cards, backdoored cards, where they came from, uh, uncut sheets. Uh, you know, missing die cuts, missing serial numbers, missing foil treatments. Uh, there's there's an, all kinds of. Uh, possibilities there so to have more information on this uh you can like i said check out my published article in beckett it's uh beckett sports monthly december 2019 i believe with george springer on the front and uh the uh, article is called shrouded in mystery and you can also go to my latest uh video that i posted on youtube at youtube.com forward slash tanman baseball fan and uh yeah a uh, couple ways for you to check some stuff out and you know if you want to uh, let some of these into your own collection you know shoot go for it go nuts like my uh, my super collection of Kinseiko, i thrived on those things i loved picking up uh, picking up all kinds of different cards like that nowadays i don't pick up every single nmpc Kinseiko. that uh, that I see like I just don't I don't care about the a lot of the miscuts or oversized proofs or anything but every now and then I'll get a card that strikes me as beautiful as wonderful as peculiar as amazing uh, like my 92 tops missing nameplate cards or 97 pinnacle totally certified platinum gold uh... You know, I've got a number of others in my collection as well. Uh, But probably no more than 10 at this point, 10 or 15. So, yeah, I'd recommend you at least uh, taking a look at them and seeing what's out there. Uh, But, yeah, because they're fun. They can add a completely different dimension to your collection. So that's all I have for you tonight, guys. Uh, Thanks for listening. As always, I do hope that you can like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Have a great night.